Chapter 2 The Foundation Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that the Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon The group consisting of mother, father, and child is the main educational agency of mankind. Martin Luther King, Jr. So what is to be noted here is that heads of family must go to the trouble of being instructed in God's Word if they are to do their duty. John Calvin The Bible constantly directs our view to children and children's children, teaching us that all the good which we have is to be transmitted. J.W. Alexander A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Theodore Roosevelt Parenting brings incredible, indescribable joys. But because our children matter so much to us, parenting can also bring incredible challenges and devastating heartbreak. For such an important task, we need to have our thoughts and attitudes and our dreams and desires shaped by Scripture. Nancy Guthrie In Matthew chapter 22, when someone asked Jesus Christ, Almighty God incarnate, what is the most important command in the entire Old Testament? He didn't hesitate in his answer. Recalling Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus called it the great and first commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. According to God in the flesh, the long-promised Messiah this is the preeminent command in the Bible. Love God with everything you've got. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, Moses says that, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and immediately follows it with the mandate to teach them diligently to your children. Chapter 6, verse 7. Scripture reinforces this imperative several times. God has clearly commanded that the highest priority of parenting is helping children know, follow, and trust Him. The foundation of understanding family discipleship must be what God Himself has to say about it. What Jesus called the Great Commandment, the supreme love for God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as well as what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, the assignment to make disciples everywhere, both have a profound import for the Christian family. The biblical imperative is for believing parents to teach their household to obey all that Christ has commanded, principally to love and follow God above anything else. One generation removed from those who first heard Deuteronomy chapter 6, the people of God demonstrated the danger of not passing on God's truth. In Judges chapter 2 verse 10, we see the generation after Joshua, Moses' successor, described as another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. 
Judges chapter 2 says that they did what was evil and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and that as a result, the Lord was against them, as the Lord had warned. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 and verse 15. Those who heard Deuteronomy chapter 6 did not pass on Deuteronomy chapter 6. You, however, get the chance to do what they did not. You get to not only keep God's life-giving commandments, but diligently teach them to your children. Diligence implies dedication. You are not just hoping for your kids to know the Lord. You are dedicated and relentless in doing everything it takes to help them know more about their God. Whatever the cost, no matter what, your child will not escape your house without knowing the life, joy, and freedom that comes with loving and serving God above all others. This is your biblical mandate as a parent. While Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the primary commands to impart your faith to your children, it is far from the only place this is communicated in the Word of God. The Bible gives Christians a robust understanding of family. In this chapter, we will show you what the Bible has to say about family, as well as the important distinction between the role of the family and the church when it comes to discipling the next generation. God invented the family. Its functions and responsibilities are determined by its Creator. All families can find their history and their mission in the Bible. From the Bible we learn that the first family existed before humanity's fall into sin, quickly ran into depravity and dysfunction, and that, from now until Christ comes back or we go to be with Him, Every Christian family is called to be the instrument and environment for discipleship of every newly forming generation. However, the Bible also makes it clear that parents are not alone on this journey. The Christian community around the family, the church, also plays an important role in the spiritual formation of children. Ideally, Christian parents and Christian churches are collaboratively discipling kids to know and love Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whether it is training, resources, mentors, or programs, churches can provide a great level of support to families. In addition, having partners from within our Christian community who resource and disciple in concert with a mom or dad is a gift. In Our Homes and Churches The Chandler home has been immensely blessed by the people of our church, the village. Of course, my wife and I are the two people primarily responsible for the discipleship of our kids, but the church has had a profound influence on our kids' spiritual development and in many ways has equipped us as parents to fulfill that role. We have often prayed that God would send other godly men and women into the lives of our kids, and He has graciously answered that prayer time and again. We know there are some things our kids feel more comfortable talking through with someone who is not their mom or dad, and we are blessed to have found an abundance of qualified mentors at the village church to come alongside us. Having staff members, volunteer leaders, and friends in our church who contribute to our family's discipleship is an essential aspect of how we are raising our kids. The church has contributed to our family not only by providing leadership, we have benefited from the thoughtful theological work the Village Church NextGen team has put into designing courses and resources that help facilitate our discipleship. We use the Village Church Children's Ministry Foundational Truths 
as the doctrinal groundwork for many of the gospel conversations that happen in our home. We have also often depended on the family devotionals and take-home talk sheets the Village Church creates for us to use with our kids in our family discipleship times. What a blessing to have subject matter experts creating the resource we interact with every day as a family. In the Griffin home, we love to invite other adults into our family discipleship. The people of our church, East Side, have had a profound impact on the theological formation of our kids. On Sunday mornings, our kids participate in age-specific classes that share the gospel with them on a level they can comprehend. It means the world to us as parents to have other adults we trust reinforcing the truths we are teaching at home. East Side values age-specific teaching, but they also reinforce the value of the whole family worshiping together. So, while kids are always welcome in service, once a month we have a family worship weekend where we focus on the spiritual formation of an entire family and shut down most of our age-specific ministries. It is our kids' favorite weekend of the month. The Two Key Institutions for Family Discipleship If you know Christ, it is likely because someone told you about Him. Who was that? Was it a family member or another Christian unrelated to you? Whoever it was, thank God for how He used that someone. You are now part of an enduring legacy of faithful saints who have not failed to fulfill their duty of transmitting the things of God to their descendants and to the other children in their community. God established two foundational institutions for telling the next generation about Christ, and they function best when their work is cooperative and coordinated. The Lord has called every immediate family as well as every local church to contribute to the spiritual leadership of the next generation. The Immediate Family God calls parents to make their home the primary environment for the discipleship of children. The Family of God God calls the local church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, including in their own homes, and to share the load of spiritual leadership for the next generation. What is the parent's role in family discipleship? In many ways, culture has convinced parents that it is better to outsource the education and training of their children to professionals. We send them to teachers, counselors, tutors, coaches, and churches to learn and develop. Because of this reality, many parents walk in insecurity over their parental influence. There is nothing wrong with utilizing specialists in specific fields for the sake of your child's growth. Parents aren't expected to be an expert on everything in the life of their kids. But when it comes to spiritual matters, God gives the primary responsibility of religious instruction and the training of children to parents, as outlined in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalms 78 and 145 and Ephesians chapter 6. Christian education begins and should primarily take place in the home. In God's good design, parents are given the closest proximity and greatest influence in the lives of their children. Parents have the incredible privilege of helping their children discover the world and teaching them to know, love, trust, and obey the One who made them. God commands parents to actively and earnestly shape the character of their children and help form their faith. While God calls one generation to commend His works to the next, 
which is certainly a community undertaking, there is a particular sense in which mothers and fathers are responsible for the spiritual formation of the children entrusted to them. God calls parents to recount the past faithfulness of God, declare His works, and teach His commands. They have a unique responsibility to testify to His goodness, encourage belief, and model glad-hearted obedience. As parents model love for God and others, they also diligently teach their children the fear of the Lord and obedience to His commands. This looks like sharing the stories of faith found in God's Word and explaining not only what God calls His people to do, but also why He calls us to do it. Parents have a unique opportunity to teach their children how to see the world and their experiences through gospel lenses. They also have the privilege, both through modeling and instruction, to show their children how to engage relationally with the Lord in prayer, worship, and Bible study. Parents are not only the primary disciplers. This is their primary Christian role. Most families are very busy groups of people pulled in many different directions. If it seems like you don't have time to engage in family discipleship, the opposite is actually true. You don't have time for overtime at work or any of the myriad family activities and other commitments if you don't have time for this. Spiritual leadership is your priority as a parent. God says that if a man is not leading his household well, he is disqualified from leading the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 To not engage in spiritually leading a family well disqualifies someone from other roles in the body of Christ. The rest of the church should take their cue from the expectations of their overseers. If this is not going well, then it is time to set aside other tasks and opportunities until it is. The Dysfunction of Family The first family in history was also the first family to dysfunction, to twist what ought to be the safest, most loving relationships someone has into a jumble of injurious conflicts and wounded relationships. Adam and Eve sought autonomy from God in the Garden of Eden. Their sin, like many of our modern-day dysfunctions, led to blame and shame. They both attempted to find ways to cover their guilt and to shift the blame for their actions to someone else. Their kids, Cain and Abel, experienced a profound sibling rivalry that led to hatred and murder. Since mankind's fall into sin, family has become a broken version of what God intended. Sin makes family hard. While marriage and family are God's good gifts and design, as in all things, people find ways to distort even good gifts in ways that bring affliction. Domestic dysfunction is pervasive. Sin brings some version of harmful actions, neglect, selfish passivity, and conflict into every family. In some cases, Profound sin can even disqualify a parent from being in a position of authority in a child's life. But in all cases, family dysfunctions should be addressed. The wounds from family, the people God intended to love us the best, can have significant and long-lasting effects. But even in light of that, family reconciliation is possible in and through the gracious love of Jesus Christ. A scar remains long after a cut is healed, but it's not always painful, though it remains visible. Sin will derail all of our families to an extent, but God's grace is greater. It is important to note also that conflict is not necessarily sinful. 
conflict will play a role in every family, it is not inherently evil to disagree. The Christian family will have to find ways to navigate conflict without descending into sinning against one another. Christians who recognize sin can react poorly to failings. You, like your kids, may feel the undue pressure of perfection that makes anything less than impeccability demoralizing. If the anxiety of perfectionism has taken root in your family, fight it with the knowledge that your perfection was secured in Christ, who is not surprised or disgusted by your flawed attempts at holiness. Or you, like your kids, might have embraced the fact that perfection is unachievable, and therefore you'll tend to surrender to your temptations as if sin were irresistible just because mistakes are inevitable. If resignation to sin has taken root in you or your family, fight it with the knowledge that not only has the war with sin been ultimately won in Christ, but many temporal battles with sin are winnable with the help of God. One of the most common dysfunctions of family is withholding love, affection, attention, or approval because a child has not met a parental expectation. Know that Jesus doesn't love only a future version of your kids, and you shouldn't either. Don't hold back your love for your children until they have achieved something or met a behavioral standard of yours. We obey God because we love Him. We do not obey in order to earn His love. In a like manner, we love our children better than they deserve, with a love that does not hinge on how closely they've been able to meet our standards. Love your kids for who they are. Some children excel in athletics, some in academics, some in music. You should affirm your children not only for excelling in what you want them to, but also for the ways that God made them, even if they are different than what you had hoped for. If Jesus loved the unlovable, and he calls you to love your enemy, how do you think that should translate to the way you love your family? Sometimes those closest to us feel like they have to face the highest expectations and the biggest hurdles in order to receive or earn our love. God's love is not based on a measured performance. Let that be both a comfort to you as a parent and a cascading comfort to your kids in the way you lead and love them unconditionally. What is the church's role in family discipleship? The amount of time your family spends at church together or individually pales in comparison to the concentrated time you spend together away from church. For this reason, among others, church has much less potential to be the most significant influence on a child's life compared to your family. At the same time, church plays a vital role in the call to train and care for the next generation. In the New Testament, a family is often referred to as a household. The Greek word frequently used is oikos. It does not simply refer to two parents and their children or what we might call a nuclear family. It is broader than what we typically think of when we say family. A household could include several generations. It could include aunts, uncles, and cousins. It could even refer to non-blood relatives who lived in close proximity. A household can come in all shapes and sizes. This is an important aspect of family for us to understand when it comes to family discipleship. Though godly child-rearing starts with the responsibility of parents, it is a broader church family and network of relatives who are in close proximity to any child who are all called to help bear the burden of teaching the next generation all that the Lord has done and commanded.
Commending the works of the Lord is a command to God's people generally. The community as a whole is to recount God's power and faithfulness, testify to His character, and teach His ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6 calls all of Israel to know the one true God, love Him fully, and diligently raise up future generations to do the same. While parents bear primary responsibility, the church family as a whole is also entrusted with the joyful duty of discipling the next generation. In our culture, the church generally works both organically and organizationally. Typically, when people think of church, they think of a place instead of a people. But this should not be so. The church is primarily a people, not an institution or location. The organic nature of the church is simply the relationships we have with fellow believers as we walk together in community. These are the men and women who carry our burdens, share our sorrows and celebrations, pray with us, encourage us, and help us through crises. In this respect, the role of the church is to help disciple children by coming around parents and caregivers with love, support, accountability, and prayer. Faithful brothers and sisters provide additional voices of truth for children, not to assume parental influence, but rather to supplement and strengthen it. The church family also takes care of the spiritual orphan. They draw in those without believing parents and teach them the ways of God. Many of us first heard the gospel from a camp counselor, teacher, coach, small group leader, or friend who loved us enough to share. Discipling the next generation is a community undertaking. Being a parent and having your own children to raise does not relieve you of the responsibility to help other children and families in your community come to know God as well. The organizational nature of the church exists to help the organic expressions of the church family flourish. The elders of a local church are charged with faithfully preaching God's word and leading the church toward joyful obedience as they follow Jesus and make disciples together. This includes helping parents obey God's call to disciple their children. Church leadership offers spiritual authority, serving and coming alongside families. They extend encouragement, train parents, and provide supplemental biblical teaching for children and students. This may manifest both in age-specific ministries, in curated or created resources, and in considering the ministry of the family in corporate gatherings. What the Bible Says About Family God teaches us about our relationship to Him through family. As the creator of the family, God has a lot to say about it. We know the Bible speaks directly about the responsibility of parents and children, but Scripture also uses the notion of family as a poetic device to teach us about God. His Word calls us to imitate Him as beloved children. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He tells us that He will comfort His people as a mother comforts her child. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. The Bible says that God has compassion as a father shows compassion to his children and disciplines his people as a father the son in whom he delights. Psalm 103, verse 13, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. Those who are saved are adopted by God into his family. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Christians call each other brother and sister, 
and we call God Father. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 Though God could have told us to call Him anything, He chose the title Father to communicate His relationship to humanity. Even marriage itself is a profound picture of the gospel that refers to Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 You can see how God feels about family by the way He uses family language to describe His people and His relationship to them. He created marriage and family to be a place and people of comfort, compassion, discipline, and forgiveness. God teaches the inherent value of children. God loves kids. When others considered children a nuisance, a distraction, or unimportant, Jesus rebuked those people. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. The Bible calls children a gift from God. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Children are not property, though they are often treated as such. Children are people. They do not belong to you like a product or a pet. They are souls entrusted to you as a caretaker, but they ultimately belong to God. When you find yourself parenting from a place of anxiety, you may need to ask yourself if this child is yours or the Lord's. Children are not a less valuable version of humanity, nor are they potential people. There is no biblical provision for a moment when a person becomes the image of God, where they formerly were not. There is no age at which human dignity begins or ends. The inherent value of personhood is present from the very conception of a unique human being. From the womb, this soul is from the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3. Given to you, and he will expect you to steward his or her life well. Like the servants who are given talents and expected to steward them well, you have been given a family to faithfully lead. When the Lord asks you one day for an account of how you led your home, we pray He will say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21 God created, loves, and wants faithful marriages. God gave marriage as a gift to humanity before sin entered the world and, in that first marriage, he commanded that they have children and care for them. Even in the first family, God created clearly defined roles. There was one husband and one wife, a marriage design that was instituted in God's perfect garden before sin even entered the world. Their sons and daughters were to come under the authority of their parents. These roles repeat generation after generation. God loves marriage. He says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 God loves to see that good thing celebrated, guarded, and maintained by the whole Christian community. God's people refrain from sex except within the confines of a loving marriage covenant. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 a husband is called to love his wife as himself, and a wife is to see that she respects her husband. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33. Though there are biblical grounds for divorce, the covenant commitment between wife and husband is not to be entered lightly or exited carelessly. What therefore God has joined together, 
Let not man separate. Matthew chapter 19 verse 6. Marriage is the bedrock of God's family design. It is a blessing to a child to have both a godly mother and a godly father. Where one or the other or both are absent, for whatever reason, the church should strive to be mother to the motherless and father to the fatherless. God commands that children are to be cared for and trained. A child is vulnerable. Vulnerable to lies, vulnerable to hurts, vulnerable to neglect. They are vulnerable because in every perceivable way, children are born with an innate insufficiency. They need others to care for them. In myriad ways this is true of all of us. Scripture makes clear again and again that one of the purposes of the family is to care for the vulnerable and to teach what is known to those who have yet to learn. In Psalm 78, verse 7, the psalmist says that the Lord commanded the teaching of children so that the coming generation should set their hope in God and keep His commandments. In 2 John chapter 4, John rejoiced greatly to find some of the elect lady's children walking in the truth, just like God commanded. It is God's express will for parents to teach their children. The Apostle Paul communicates the directive from God to fathers regarding their kids, instructing them to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. For the Christian, family discipleship is in no way optional. This is a command of God. God commands that parents are to be honored and obeyed. Parents are commanded to train their children and children are commanded to honor their parents. In the first of the Ten Commandments that deal with interpersonal human relationships, God commands that kids honor their father and their mother. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 Paul declares that honor includes obedience. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 As far as parents are in the Lord, children are to obey their godly instruction and honor and respect their godly position of authority. God tells and shows us what to teach children. A righteous, God-fearing person will delight in the law, Torah, of the Lord, and on his law, Torah, he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verse 2. God's Torah is both his instruction about the way to live and his story about all he has done to rescue his people. Those who follow God will delight in, study, and obey the law and the gospel of God. The instructions and regulations as well as the redemptive story of God's work to rescue a law-breaking people. We are tasked to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Psalm 78 verse 4, most prominent of which is Christ's redeeming work on the cross and His resurrection. Teaching our kids the gospel means teaching them to trust in what God has done for them and to observe all that Christ has commanded. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. We instruct our children to trust God enough to obey what He's asked of us. Though this implies a thorough understanding of everything in Scripture, some books and sections are more easily applicable to family discipleship instruction than others. Proverbs, for instance, is built as parental instruction. While the wisdom of Proverbs is broadly applicable, 
The content is written from the perspective of a mother and father instructing their child. Parents, then, can easily impart this knowledge to their families. Take, for example, the fatherly advice in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 15 through 26. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth, and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. Proverbs is rich with parental lessons on work ethic, kindness, honesty, humility, generosity, purity, and so much more. Proverbs is just one of 66 books, each of which is replete with stories of the faithfulness of God and instructions on how to live. Jesus taught that the Bible was about Him and that to know the Father, you had to know Him. Therefore, your family discipleship must be all about Jesus as well. When it comes to answering the question of what to teach children, the answer is simple, God's Word. In God's Word you will come to know Christ. God does not take family responsibilities lightly. God loves children and does not tolerate seeing them misled. Jesus said that it would be better for you to have a great millstone fastened around your neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. We see in the priest Eli that even passive parenting, refusing to intervene when we should, is taken seriously by God. The Lord tells young priest to be Samuel that he would punish Eli's house forever, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. The New Testament affirms that if a man cannot manage and lead his own household, then he is automatically disqualified from consideration as a church leader. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. When talking about vulnerable family members, Paul wrote to Timothy that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. God is serious about families following Him and loving one another enough to fulfill their roles of parent and child in ways that honor God. God gives families the gift of forgiveness. Living in close proximity to other people means being exposed to each other's worst moments and least appealing attributes. A Christian family requires relentless discipline, correction, repentance, and forgiveness. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, 
And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. This is a profound truth for marriage and parent-child relationships, that as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. That does not mean that there are not consequences or ramifications for sin, but it does mean that a family will be a factory of forgiveness, not holding grudges and cultivating bitterness, reflecting Christ to one another in the relentless way we repent and forgive. By this all people will know that you are Jesus' disciples, if you have love for one another. John chapter 13 verse 35